Hello, welcome to On Connection. We always want to bring topics to the show that are highly relevant and relatable to people navigating the world of work and the world of leadership. And a not-so-fun part of work and life is speaking up about the challenges and disappointments we're experiencing in our relationships with others. We have issues like this come up all the time. A colleague is chronically unreliable for getting their work done. We aren't confident we can deliver on a commitment we made or maybe a deliverable that was promised. It may be a behavioral thing. The way a colleague conducts themselves in meetings feels disrespectful and may be costing you and your team credibility. Maybe it's something that's come up with your manager. It doesn't actually feel like they have your back, and lately it feels like they're too busy to be supportive of your growth and success. Whatever it is, and no matter how obvious the issue, it's difficult and uncomfortable to bring these things up and have a real conversation. We have a tendency to want to avoid those confrontational interactions as much as possible, but to be successful in our jobs and in our relationships, we can't shove it all under the rug. You may have heard it said that what you resist persists. When we choose to ignore issues rather than raising them, we don't just lose the opportunity to resolve them, we also risk it getting worse and more problematic over time, and it can damage things we really care about. Being able to step into these conversations emotionally grounded, with a firm sense of purpose, and an openness to listening to and learning from the other person is a highly valuable skill set. If you're a people leader, It's a critical one, and getting great at it means you'll sponsor more trust across your team, develop a culture of authenticity, and see greater return on your team's investment of time and effort. Over time, we can't promise the conversations get easier, but you do get better at having them and at leading them to better outcomes. Today, I'm joined by Mickey and Robin to share what makes this so hard and the key principles that will reliably help you engage with these challenges in a way that leads to stronger relationships and results. Hello, hello. Welcome back to On Connection. Today, I am joined by Robin and Mickey once again. Welcome, welcome. Happy to have you. Thanks. Thank you. Nice to be here. Today, we wanted to talk about something that I think everybody can relate to, to some degree, no matter where you sit in your working life, um, well, in life in general, but raising and resolving issues. So when issues arise, do we raise them and how do we resolve them? And we wanted to start with a context that may be not what we go to first, which is What about when normally our relationships are going pretty well? So we have pretty positive working relationships. I talk about that my team is great to work with. You know, most of the time all is going well, but then we're not reliable for when things go wrong, bringing things up to one another and addressing them at what we would call point easy or somewhere in that neighborhood. So... Why Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's hard for us, even in the relationships that we do generally deem as positive and maybe even trusting, why is it so hard to raise issues in those relationships? Well, I, I think there's a couple of explanations and they may vary person to person or situation to situation. But the things that come up for me are 
oh, do I want to threaten this relationship? Like things feel like they're pretty good. Is this a big enough thing? That is it, is it worth the potential risk, the potential discomfort to bring it up? Or am I just going to sort of deal with it? So I think, mm-hmm. I think that is a big one, particularly in relationships that are pretty good and working relationships that are pretty good. It's different when if it's a relationship at home, you have to deal with it on an ongoing basis. But if it's a, something that's happened, it feels like, uh, like, do I, do I really want to get into this today? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one. Mickey, what, what do you see? What I see is related to that. And I want to make it close to home What I'm about to say is real in my experience, and I don't think it's only my experience. So here in our company at Conversant, there are a lot of people who love their work. They love the people they're working with. We have all these different experiences that people are thrilled to have been a part of. There's appreciation run amok. (laughs) There's all kinds of things that people love and value. And I found that when we get into this experience of community, of really feeling like everything's great, we've got pride and joy in our work and trust in one another and God's in heaven and all's right with the world, people get frightened to do anything negative in that environment. It feels so unusual, so precious that if I go say this thing that I don't like or what's wrong, or am I going to go back to Star Wars? Will this cause a disturbance in the force? (laughs) But I think people, once they get to relationships that feel really good, are afraid of disturbing that. Mm -hmm. And we don't notice that the failure to disturb it is now planting the seeds of destruction in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Because we've now out of our fear of disturbing how wonderful things are, we've planted the first seeds of pretense and avoidance mm-hmm. and an expression of mistrust that I don't trust you enough to be able to say what I really have to say. And yet it feels like I'm preserving affinity and affection. No, mm-hmm. we're planting the seeds of our own destruction. Because people say, well, I, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. Right. And it's to your point, Mick, I might be sacrificing our relationship, our long-term success, the viability of a project or right. All for the sake of the potential of hurting someone's feelings. I've come to see a lot of the times when someone says that, or when I say that it's actually, I don't want to risk my feelings as much as it is that I don't want to risk your feelings. And that, um, I don't know that most people would say it that way, but I do find that the discomfort of it is as much about my own discomfort as it is about the other person's discomfort. One other thing really quick, Emma Rose, you said something about point easy. I think in relationships where we've had a relationship, we often miss point easy or write it off because we're like, well, this hasn't happened before. It They're just having a bad day. I should just let that go this time. And so Mick, to your point around planting the seeds of mistrust, because I didn't have that conversation that time. But now it's it is in my head that like oh this thing happened that one time now am I looking for it to happen again and we never actually resolved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that 
One, there's two things in what you said I want to go back to. One is I do think it's more about me when I'm saying I don't want to hurt his feelings or her feelings. Because really what it's about is I'm afraid that person's going to leave me. Mm-hmm. Leave me really? Like I bring this up and this person's going to leave the company or I bring this up, this person's going to abandon the relationship or just spiritually leave me like they're done with me and will deal with me only as necessary. So it, I'm afraid of being rejected left abandoned so i think that's important what you said can i catch that as a reason why i'm not doing it masquerading as i don't want to hurt their feelings <laughs> actually i don't want them to reject me <laughs> that's what's really going on another thing it's also related to what you just said is i think that we fail to do the work it takes to bring something up in a way that the source of our relationship is present in bringing it up. So let's say the source of our relationship is we were on this incredible challenging project together and we were resilient and resourceful. And at the end of it, it all turned out and the CEO acknowledges us in front of all kinds of people So the source of our relationship was being resilient and resourceful under stress. You know, if I came into the conversation, I said, you know, it feels to me like the way we knew to rely on each other is we went through that bloodbath in the ABC project and I saw we were resourceful and resilient. I'm going to ask you to be that person with me again right now. You know, so if you go back to what built the relationship, and have that be a part of the context of dealing with something difficult, it actually can be a really powerful opening. I don't know when you all want to get to it, but there's also some steps you can take to make that more orderly. Emrose, what do you see as being some of the explanations for why we don't bring up issues with people we have strong working relationships with to begin with? Well, I think it's, I agree with everything you guys have said. And I think, um, I think that for the most part, people can be fairly jaded about that you even have really amazing working relationships. And so I think that when you do start, you experience some of those you want to hold on to them as much as possible. And if there's this threat of that, this, it taking a turn for the worst, it's almost proving the thing that you were trying to prove wasn't true. It's proving, oh, well, inevitably, I, you know, people just end up not getting along and things fall apart and there's friction and, um, what have you. I, I think there's a little bit of that too, uh, about wanting to avoid the evidence of the thing that we're just starting to kind of hope might not have to be that way. Um, and when we avoid having a conversation that continues to occur to us, <laughs> the longer the avoidance goes on, the more we mentally fabricate explanations for why this isn't or can't be resolved Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the longer it goes on. 
and it can be, well, I don't know. I just thought more of that person than maybe they really, <laughs> you know, I'm starting to call into question their character. Or I just don't think they're very open. So I don't know why I would bother because they're not. Yeah. So I have to make up something to justify my inaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that makes it worse. And so, Emrose, that was in what you were just saying. That's yeah. Stimulated this comment. Well, and another thing that's, I think, true also specifically in organizational life is I think we can very quickly jump to that's not my thing to correct mm. or it's not my thing to raise. It's not my job. It's not my job. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's when, and we get this a lot, we're on the receiving end of some of this stuff, but people want to go to other people about that thing in hopes that somebody else is going to take care of right. it for you instead of you being the one to directly address it. So I think where there's hierarchy that can affect, you know, people assuming even if it's your co coworker at your level, you assume, well, that's my manager's job to fix. So I'm going to tell my manager about it and then they're going to be the ones to correct that. But then if you talk to the managers that are having to correct people's behavior, they feel like it's worse if I haven't even been the witness of the behavior and I'm the one now going to them saying, oh, well, everybody's talking about you and frustrated about this thing. That that is so much worse for trust than the person who is experiencing the disappointment being the one to cause the conversation. But I think largely people aren't trained to have that expectation of themselves as an employee in an organization until they are at more senior levels. Um, and even then, really. <laughs> well, I think that that set of reactions that you just talked about. Like, it's not my job. I'm going to give to this person. Now they're too far from the situation and don't know what really happened. So they can't really have the conversation about the situation in any effective way. What all that kind of quiet dysfunction leads to is an environment where, okay, we need our processes where people can give feedback without anybody knowing who gave it. <laughs> and yeah. so we get the culture of anonymity, which sounds like, well, that's the way that everybody can be heard. Yeah. And the strongest cultures I've ever seen, people raise issues and resolve them themselves. And they can be public. Mm -hmm. And part of what frees them to be public is seeing how to do it that can actually work, which I think we should get into now. Because mm -hmm. people try to do it in dysfunctional ways. And then they think they tried, which you alluded to a little earlier. You know, mm -hmm. so I have a conversation and I go, well, Robin, um, just want you to know that recently um, I just been thinking that maybe uh, you and I, I don't know, we haven't been as, as effective as I've seen us be in the past. So if you have any thoughts about that, just let me know. Okay. And then I'm talking to Emrose later and go, look, I tried to let her know. I really did. She she didn't bite. She didn't lean in. She didn't do <laughs> nothing. It was nothing. <laughs> I had a uh, conversation with a COO one time of a very large organization. And he was very unhappy about a team member. And he was going through sort of the list. And he said, and I talked to them today. 
And I said, okay, so that list of all those things you just said to me, did you say those things to that person? (laughs) I got a lot of silence and he was like, well, probably not exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just said, like, they are not a mind reader. (laughs) Right. You are going to need to say those things to that person. Because the way he had said it to me, honestly, this is a coaching relationship, was not disrespectful, was not like he didn't, you know, he wasn't using, you know, anything derogatory. He was being pretty fact-based. I asked for this. This is what happened. This is what didn't meet my expectations. Right. So he wasn't sort of ranting. So he'd actually done some of the work, Mick, I know that we're going to get into in a minute, but he had, he missed the step about I have an actual conversation with the person in a way that they can hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, uh, before, sorry, the last thing I want to say before we get into that is just that I think another rational common rationalization just to name it in case people resonate with it can also be those people who are their behavior is so disappointing because it feels uh against the culture against the values unethical so shocking like how could they they cannot be a rational human being doing that and not be aware of the impact that it must have. And I think there's some people that sit in that like, well, they're going to realize eventually that's ridiculous that they need to, they, they need to correct their own behavior. Like eventually they're going to have to get that for themselves. So I'm just not going to go and tell them. (laughs) Or you get to a point where people unfortunately didn't have any of those conversations along the way. And then it's at such a point impossible or point critical place that you give up on each other. Like, all right, this is now an issue for HR. This is against these things. We are blah, 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 you know, and people part ways for whatever reasons. But I think that a lot of those things probably didn't have to go that way and there were missed opportunities. Okay, now we can get into the how to. <laughs> well, you both know we've been in many situations where people have asked us to intervene when a relationship looks like it's pretty much over you know, the last gasp, and we go back through everything that's happened prior to that, I can't even remember a time where the following wasn't the case. That person never got a full and candid disclosure of what the concerns were. Mm-hmm. Never. That they're kind of, at the end, it leaks out as some barrage of accusations that are the accumulated discontent of three years of not having conversations. And the person really never had the chance early on to know what was off course and how to care for it. So I want to go back to an example from real life and then say, what can we learn from it that people can do something about? Y'all both know what I'm going to refer to, but I'm going to change some of the facts to protect the names of the company <laughs> and the people involved. Uh, there's a Fortune 20, let's say, company that we've done substantial work with. And some years ago, there was a general manager's a gathering. And the CEO came at the end of the general managers working on some things to just get feedback and questions and 
talked to some of the most prominent leaders in this very large company. And uh, when the CEO said, what do you have for me? At the end of the experience, the CEO told the person who'd sponsored this GM gathering that that was really disappointing. Here we have the most prominent leaders in our company. And all they did was complain. Offered no options, no alternatives, no potential solutions. Just, I felt like they backed up the whining truck and dropped all the whining complaints in my lap. And it's just really disappointing. So, the CEO was supposed to return to the GM group in a few weeks. And when we heard about that disappointment, we asked for 90 minutes with the general managers. We had them once again, what are all the things you want to say to the CEO? And we got all those out. There was actually a finite list <laughs> of what the concerns and complaints were. Then we asked them, to work together in small groups, three and four, what do you think your CEO's most prominent purposes are? So the things the CEO is committed to, wants to have happen, things strategically important. What concerns or worries do you think is on your CEO's mind relative to all those purposes? And what are current circumstances that must be attracting the attention of your CEO? So then they had to list all that. Then all we did is we asked them to get in pairs and trios and see how can you raise your issue in the vocabulary of your CEO's purposes, concerns, and circumstances. So for instance, one of them was saying, we're being asked to enter an entirely new marketplace in my part of the business and we've had no increase in resources. And that was the, the wine was, how do you expect me to do this when I don't have any other resources? So I'm doing everything I did for the old part of the business, but we want this new part of the business. There's no re new resources. They looked at the CEO's purposes, concerns, and circumstances. And what they came up with was, we want to talk to you and get your counsel about what's the best way we use available resources to both preserve the current market and enter this new one. Would you join us in troubleshooting that? Well, they had a dozen of these before they were done. But when the CEO came back and they raised that exact issue, the CEO was like, well, yeah, let's talk this through. Well, what, what, what do you mean? What are you seeing? Or what? Because that was something the CEO was concerned about. So the first thing is, are we willing to do the work to really research the perspective of the person we want to raise the issue with? What are their purposes? What are their concerns? What are their circumstances? How do I raise my issue so it's relevant to those? I know it's going to be relevant to me. It's my issue. But how do I do it in a way that actually connects? And that's the difference between a complaint and engaging somebody in something. So that's the first thing. You got to come up with a purpose for the conversation that they resonate with. The second thing is, as you all know, you got to prepare accurately before going into that. As in, what exactly happened that gives me this concern? You know, so 
those are the what, when, where, who questions. And I got to separate it from, well, I'm afraid the CEO just isn't open to my point of view. That's an explanation. That's not a fact. What happened? Well, when the CEO was here last time, I brought this up and immediately the CEO just went on and say, well, who else has got something else? <laughs> okay. So now you know the way you brought it up last time didn't work. <laughs> but what happened? So you could even say, you know, last time we talked, I'm afraid I didn't, I didn't bring this up in a way that worked very well because we didn't follow through on the conversation. So, but my point is, you want to prepare accurately by saying exactly what has happened with no opinion in it, no assessment, no judgment, just this happened. So the first thing, you come up with a purpose for the conversation that's relevant to you and to them. Second, you prepare accurately by looking at what are the things that happen that have you feel like you need to bring up the issue. Thirdly, you present what happened without any of your explanations or opinions and just say, can you just tell me what you think about this and get their reaction? Then learning from whatever they say, you complete it by bringing, well, these are my worries if they're not resolved in that. We find if you start from the other person's perspective, create a context in which they can hear their own purposes, concerns, and circumstances, give them a non-judgmental list of observable things that had happened, <laughs> then ask for their comment, learn from it, and then just enter with whatever you've just learned. 95 times out of 100, the relationship ends up stronger, not weaker. And I will just add as a caveat, stronger, not weaker over the long term. It might not happen in that conversation because right. <laughs> I think that is one of the things is that all of us have our own emotions that come up. So even inside of that um we're getting ready to be at our um, beloved Connected Leader program. And during that, we watch um, the a horse that's never been ridden before sort of be introduced to a human being who's going to ride it. And Michael Moon, who does that work for us, and I may have told the story before, one time said, and it has stuck with me, sometimes that horse is going to buck. And I think that's true in these conversations is even when you plan it out really well, sometimes there is an emotion that's going to come up in those from either person. And how do we be compassionate and timely in those meetings to give whoever it is those moments? Because Mick, I th sometimes think like when we talk about this, people think like, oh, I do X, Y, and Z and it's everybody's happy and this is an easy conversation. No, this is still not going to be an easy conversation, there still may be some reaction on the other side that we have to be able to have our own agility in the moment to, to flex with uh, as that's happening. So I just, I want to give just a word of caution about this isn't like this is some miracle formula that resolves mm -hmm. all issues without any emotion involved in it. Because mm -hmm. I think we are still human beings that there's still the potential that something hit someone in a way that they feel the need to defend or feel that they are, yeah, feel the need to defend. So, yeah. Yeah, I think even 
saying what I mean by the relationship 95 times out of 100 ends up better. I don't, that doesn't mean everybody's happy in the moment. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I just mean that even when, which will occasionally happen, you trigger something in the other person and they get upset and the, they'll start to say what they really think, even if they're not doing it in a very graceful way. That actually is better. We're now in an open conversation, even though it's difficult. And you bring that up, says one of the most important things in this is if you think there's any potential disturbance, volatility, disappointment, upset that might come your way, are you prepared to stay there peacefully, poised, not joining in that reaction, to be able to be someone who's just, you know, there's an old phrase that's gotten I don't know, trivialize, but can you hold the space for the conversation without adding a toxic mood to it, but just simply being there, listening to learn from what this person said? So I think it's really important, Robin, you pointing that out, that part of this is mood preparation. <laughs> like, what's the mood I want our relationship to be in when this is completely resolved? Mm -hmm. Great. Can I bring that mood to it at the beginning and maintain it no matter how upsetting it gets along the way? That well, and just to, to, carry, to carry the horse example <laughs> through, how many horses do you think would be ridden today if people just gave up every, the first time they bucked? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Right. That's part of, you know, sure, okay, we have the promise of the future and maybe robots are going to be better, more amiable employees to be working with. But I think the game of working with human beings is that there are emotions involved and that that's part of it. But if you can see beyond the momentary disturbance in the force and be committed to something larger than just comfort in that moment... Um, then what we're saying is the formula at least gives you an access point that you don't have if you're avoiding the conversation, that you have well, the potential it, for much more value. Yeah, I really like, Robin, that you brought up the those things we do in riding the horse for the first time, because it really is a great analogy for this. Because if you compare what we recommend, which we call the trust and partnership demonstration, where Michael's working with this horse that's never been ridden. If you compare that experience to what you see in old time breaking a horse, the old time breaking a horse, you see all kinds of bucking. In fact, they talk about you're going to get them to buck until you buck them out, till they're so exhausted they can't resist anymore. What we see in this natural connection to the horse in a way that takes them from fear to partnership. Yes, occasionally there's bucking. The percentage of it relative to the old breaking a horse ethic, it's hardly anything. And still, we have to be ready for that. And that that is a part of learning how to raise and resolve issues. It's You're right, Robin. I sound just a little bit too ideal, I think, <laughs> that there are times... Yeah, somebody who I knew for many years ago who used to be a rodeo rider. We actually were working on this issue of how do you maintain your mood in the face of everybody else getting upset? And we were talking about 
Can you take a breath? Can you remember the purpose that you're in here for? Can you recover that mood and be the steady, calm place so everybody else can get upset and then reconnect? And he said, oh, sometimes that's really hard. He said, and I was hoping you were going to give me this recipe so that it was never hard. He said, but here's what I just got out of it. When I was riding those bucking Bronx in a rodeo, I actually didn't want somebody to teach me how to get the horse to never buck. I wanted somebody to teach me to how to be great when it did. Mm-hmm. He said, what I need to do is learn how to be great when a relationship's bucking. <laughs> I said, that's pretty good. His name yeah. was Hootshaw. That's what he said. Oh, and I think that's a big part of this. I'm sorry, Amrose, is that um, I think it's what has in the list of like what causes people to avoid it, this notion that I've got to figure out the exact right thing to say at the pick, the exact right moment to have the conversation. And if I do all of that, this will just magically this issue will magically resolve and everybody will be happy in that uh jim matroni used to say the truth will set you free but first it's going to piss you off and so i do think that there are moments where yeah like and for myself i know when people raise issues with me a lot of the times i'm not actually annoyed or angry with you i'm annoyed and angry at myself right right and so but if i don't give if you don't give people space to process it and to think about and to have whatever emotional reaction they are going to have in that moment it just adds another layer of judgment into the conversation like now i'm not doing this right either mm-hmm. well you know that makes me think that this goes back to robin what you were saying when we were preparing for this conversation but um you have to, in any relationship, but I think in these examples, it's true. You have to trust them to deal with their own emotional experience. And if you don't trust them to deal with their own emotional experience, then that's kind of their problem. Like, no, you know, in the human domain, we're all responsible for our own emotional experience of our life. And if people, I think if we try to control their emotional experience, that's actually worse than allowing them to figure out their own relationship to whatever has been disappointing or frustrating or heartbreaking, even whatever it was. Um, and, but you maintaining your poise showing up as somebody who's committed to them on the other side of that, rather than somebody that gets caught up in the reactivity back and forth, and then also gets defensive and kind that you being a stable force in that relationship means they're much more likely once they do get through caring for themselves emotionally to come back to the relationship and move it forward from there. But I think if you play into the defensive storm, it's much Mm -hmm. less likely there is a post emotional reaction opportunity that comes up unless you do have a history of a lot of trust, but. Mickey, I'm wondering, would you tell, because I think you know the details probably better than I do, but I was thinking about, um, Richard Reinischek, who we haven't talked about here in a little while. My recollection from my early exposure to conversant when I was a client, which feels like a hundred years ago now, um, 
He used to tell a story about when he was on the police force and coming in to talk in cases where there had been domestic violence and really like needing to sort of discharge the situation a little bit. Can you, because I think that's some of what Emma Rose is talking about here is how do you let someone sort of say the things they need to say? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Well, I remember because there was a Let's just say that was not a single incident. Yeah. <laughs> so I I remember the incidents. Uh, we check with Dr. Reinschek, who's very retired, by the way, now. But sometimes we should have him on. That would be fun. That would be fun. Uh, but what he used to talk about regarding those was the hardest thing in training people who are stepping into those kind of moments, whether it's a domestic dispute or even a a sudden hostage crisis where somebody was holding up a 7-Eleven and took the counterperson hostage, that in any case, he said that a lot of the danger for police was in domestic disputes, a lot of it, where you'd come in and then things would get worse and now all of a sudden people are doing crazy things. And he said the most important thing that he thought he brought to that environment and part of this is because of his background as a psychologist, which not every policeman has, is that you really are a peace officer, really. <laughs> and for him, that was it. You come in there and slam down all the bad people, and then after you smash them all, then there's peace. <laughs> so, no, you are peace. Mm. And that he said it's stunning if people start losing their temper and screaming and yelling and you stay in there being completely with them, with everything you have. You don't flinch. You don't back off. You don't tense up. You are peaceful reception. And he said it was extraordinary how their mood starts to get discharged. Mm -hmm. And then they get to less volatility, less volatility. He said, the worst ones are where someone would go in there and they react to how dare you, I'm the police and you're not and follow orders. And if you don't, you're going to get smashed and bashed. And so he told those stories many times, Robin. That's what you're referring to. But I used to love him saying, people don't get what it means to be peace. Mm Mm-hmm. Not I'm going to go beat people up until there's no war, so then I'm going to call that peace. <laughs> well, I think for me, the thing that called that story to mind in this particular moment, Emrose, as you were talking about people being responsible for their own sort of emotional experience, and I think inside of raising and resolving issues, we sometimes make that emotional response worse. So mm-hmm. we, while we have a cycle of value, we talk a lot about align, act, adjust. We also have cycle of waste, disagree, defend, destroy. And I think often in raising issues, I raise an issue. So I go through what Mickey just like sort of, even if I do it sort of beautifully and perfectly, and then you disagree with me mm-hmm. about some element of what I've said. And now I come back to try to re restate my case, remake the case. You didn't hear me. You didn't get it. You didn't. And I am in my personal life. People say, I will say all the time, you didn't listen to me. <laughs> no, they listened. They just interpreted it different. Right. And so now we're, 
So now I'm actually making that reaction worse by trying to defend a particular point of view that I had as opposed to being in there and being an agent of listening and resolution, Mick, to sort of your point. So peace, yes, but I think it's also, am I here to actually help us to work through to a better resolution of whatever it is that we're dealing with? Or am I here to prove my case to you? And I think just as humans, it's not, it's pretty easy to get caught in that, well, I've had this beautiful case that I did all this prep. I followed Mickey Connolly's recipe, and then you disagreed with me. And now I have to prove this to you that here's why this is right. And so I think, how do we make to your point earlier, sort of sit in that emotion, listen to sort of what they, they have to say, give them potentially time to process. I think that's another, sometimes you have to say to somebody like, okay, like I have said what I need to say for right now. Can you go think about that? And can we come back and talk about it when, you know, when we've actually had a little time to actually think it through? Cause that's the other thing is if I've done all that prep, I've thought about it a whole lot longer than that person may have in that moment. And so it may be an act of um, compassion to give them some time to actually think about all the things that I've just said. Right. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Cause I think, um, People have their own pattern of how they react to these kinds of situations. And what I said about allowing someone to take care of themselves emotionally, that's the language of a recovering people pleaser, anxiously attached (laughs) emotional caretaker. So (laughs) that's my orienting thing about, oh, I need to trust other people to take care of their own emotional state. Other people react like your emotional reaction isn't my problem. And that's not what I'm saying. You know, it's two different things. Um, And that no matter what, I think the consciousness of purpose is what you're talking about too. Like, am I walking into this? I think a lot of times when we have a hard thing to talk about, we walk into the conversation mostly focused on the thing we're afraid of rather than the thing we're committed to. And if just even that slight reframing, catching yourself, take a deep breath. What am I for? I'm for this. And I'm going to commit to staying present to that this whole time, even though I know it's going to get hard. And then you go in there and you have the conversation. And that alone, I think, can be really helpful um, as a catch for you going in rather than being all like fired up and upset, even walking into the conversation. Well, you're just really pointing to something else that I think is deeply important and significantly influential on whether or not the issue gets resolved. One way to know you're not ready to go have the conversation, if everything you're ready to say is something you're against, Mm -hmm. you have not stopped, as you just said, taking a breath and said, okay, what am I for? It has me be against those things. Mm-hmm. What are we committed to that has those things look like? So if I'm going in and all I have is what I think's wrong, what I'm criticizing, what I think you need to fix, that's a setup for creating the kind of reactions that are unnecessary mm-hmm. and even worse than the ones we're talking about that are inevitable. So it, because I can feel that emotionally. If I'm just going in, by God, the truth, you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. <laughs> What's that line? 
you can't handle the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's just my accumulated discontent coming out in uh, a verbal barrage. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think another thing that I, I think is a good practice is just recently talking to a guy about this actually. And I wonder about um, adding this to some adjust protocol things maybe. Um, But it might be good to do a little sincerity dump with yourself before you go into that conversation. So what we mean by that is sincerely, you can have an opinion about this and you might have emotions about it and you probably feel some stuff. And we're very, very good at building the case for why we've been wronged in our head. (laughs) And so maybe writing that down rather than going and having that conversation would be good. So just, but do the dump. Cause I think otherwise we risk it running the show at some point because Mm -hmm. we've been acting like it's not a problem or like, Oh no, I can handle that. But then somewhere when we get emotionally activated, it might weasel its way in there. And so just acknowledging this is how I really feel. And this is what I care about. And so that's how I'm going to show up to this conversation. So both things get recognized by you, but there's one that's a little bit more valuable that's driving the car. <laughs> um, I think the sincere unedited dump that you're recommending uh-huh. is smart for two reasons. One, it is an emotional release. You know, you get, you got to keep going till the dump's done. You know, you've got everything out. Uh, I'm feeling and thinking about this. It's also productive because then you can stop and look at it and say, okay, what are the things that I'm for that are at risk that have this be that upsetting to me? It, mm-hmm. it, you can actually back up from that sincere collection of my uh, disappointments and complaints and judgments into, wait a minute, what am I for? Now, what are we for? How does that become the title of this conversation? It's actually good information, my sincere mm-hmm. barrage of discontent. Mm-hmm. And Rose, that's that's basically what we were talking about this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a, sorry, y'all, referencing another meeting that a we had this morning uh, yeah. on a different, on a client topic. Um, and I think the other thing that it gives you an opportunity to do, I say this pretty frequently, it gives me a moment to clean up my side of the street because mm-hmm. in most relationships, when something's gone off track and there's an issue to be resolved, there's some part that I may have played in that as well. Now, I recognize that this is one of those, like I have a tendency to come in and take on more of my own and not necessarily always hold people to account on some of their things. And I do think as leaders, it's an important part just to look at the relationship and what happened for other explanations other than they're lazy, they didn't, they're not trustworthy, they're right. And so this gives you that opportunity to actually look at it and to see, was I unclear in an expectation? Did I actually say all the words that I needed to say? What is it that I might need to change as much as what I'm asking for you to do differently in order to support this? Because I think that brings with it a spirit of partnership in the resolution as opposed to being done to um, in that conversation. So I think, I think that is the other sort of part of this is how do you really look at it as accurately as possible. And that 
that dump that you're talking about, Emrose, gives you an opportunity to really look at it and go, okay, is that actually true? Is that really like, I know I think that, but is that really how I, is that really what happened? Yeah. Well, I think in that spirit, being careful who you're asking for advice from <laughs> ahead of that <laughs> is also really helpful because it's natural to want to go to somebody else and get advice about it or perspective or whatever you want to call it. And there are certain people who may be kind of ringleaders of fanning the flames a little bit. Like, yeah, that bitch, I can't even believe they did that. That's ridiculous. You go stand up for yourself. Um, But you probably want the person who's going to help you reveal the accurate version of how things or help you really gain the perspective about accuracy rather than just encouraging your sincere point of view. And both can be very well intended. Usually I think it's just people wanting to care about you and whatever experience you're going through, but one is more helpful. (laughs) The other one might make you feel better, but in the moment, but I would say it's like donuts for breakfast feels sort of good. And then you feel terrible. Yes. Later. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if we really want to go raise and resolve, it also may feel good in the moment, but it's not headed toward resolution. Yeah, the resolution thing. That's the tricky part. <laughs> well, we I think that, I just want to say one thing in what you were talking about, Emrose, that the longer the issue has gone unaddressed, the more I think you go back, Robin, to what you said about let me examine what's what's been my part of this because mm-hmm. if it's gone on you know there are questions like what what did i step over and not trust this person enough to bring up and win uh what have i done that's actually at least contributed to the situation oh if this situation was a recipe what ingredient am i <laughs> in it and i find if you're really bringing something up right away Usually it's just the situation. Oh, you didn't come to that meeting and I thought you were going to be there. You don't have to do that kind of Mm self-examination. However, if it's gone on any length of time at all, Robin, what you said is really important, where you stop and take a breath and say, who have I been? How have I acted? What have I done that in any ways contributed to the issue I now want us to discuss? Mm -hmm. I don't know that we have time to get all the way into it. So MROs, we might think about this for a future one. I think mm-hmm. there's the flip of this. So we've talked a lot about like, if you're the person bringing the issue, I think the other part is what do you do when you're on the receiving end? Um, Cause the reality is not everyone's going to bring you an issue perfectly packaged exactly how you want to hear it (laughs) and how you react in those moments is particularly as a leader is gonna dictate how often people are willing to come and tell you the things that are important for you to know um i was i think i brought it up before about uh watermelon projects have we talked about watermelon projects here i see see your face so um you know in so many organizations they do green yellow red on a project and i had a client that used to say a watermelon project is one that's green on the outside but really red on the inside so so on all of the project planning and all the reports it shows up as green but everybody sort of knows yeah that's not actually what's happening Uh, and so 
how do you be the, you know, if you're depending on how you take quote unquote, air quote voice, bad news is going to dictate how willing people are to, to raise things with you. So I think we could do a whole thing on how do you also have that emotional agility in the moments when you're getting news that you don't really want to hear? I love that. I think we should. And I think that the only thing that I would want to say about it now is that any of this stuff, especially where emotion, emotional agility is involved, requires practice. It is a muscle to develop. And the first couple times you do it, it probably is going to be pretty ungraceful and clumsy. And you're going to have some missteps, highly likely, if you're not used to doing that. And you'll get better and better at it over time. And you'll still never be perfect at it because there will always be surprising elements that trigger new things. And so I do think it's just something that takes practice and giving both yourself and others grace that that's just kind of how we function as human beings. Um, You know, when you think of being the receiver of a complaint or issue or et cetera, um, Emrose, you and I recently did something where you were talking about who actually helps us through those moments is who starts noticing when we're coming apart Mm -hmm. and can take a breath and help us come back together. So if I'm receiving it as an ethic, can I notice in my emotions and what I'm, how I'm about to react, is that going to pull us apart or together? Mm -hmm. So if you just start developing an antenna for, is this coming apart or coming together? (laughs) That's a, a good confront of myself. Am I is my reaction about to go apart or together? So mm-hmm. I think that's something that can be a really great question and a discipline that helps me, no matter how they bring it up, no matter how graceless it is, is my reaction going to lead to coming apart or coming together? Mm-hmm. The other thing, and this is I think the last thing I've got to say on this today, there's also something proactive, I think, that any work group can do so a team or a company which is when everything's fine when nobody's upset raise a question and the question is what is our appetite for the truth Mm. like when times are not as great as they are right now when we're disappointed when something's not going perfectly let's all talk what what do we want from each other what is our appetite for living truthfully with each other and really discuss it and look at, well, how do we assure that we get to live truthfully with each other in good times and bad and have people explore that and come up with ideas and commitments to one another while things are fine. And then those become what we look at when things are not fine. It's like our map back to that moment. So I think giving a team or a community, a chance to really troubleshoot what allows us to cultivate our appetite for the truth and know we will always get that from one another. And I won't have to worry about withholding or deception or fear pulling us apart from one another. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, We will move towards a close here. My closing question is. mm, One, what would be like the one thing that you would say is something for 
people to remember leaving this conversation? If you had to pick one essential thing, what would it be? I got to go back to Michael Moon and sometimes that horse is going to buck and don't wait to the perfect moment to raise the issue because I don't think there is a perfect, I think that has us wait way too long to bring something up. So that's, that's mine for me, I think today. Really good. If I had to be picking only one as forced <laughs> by you, it's that the well-raised issue is for something, not against something. And what I'm against is information to help me reconstruct it as something I'm for. Mm, very good. What's yours? Mine is, mine is take a deep breath. <laughs> All right. Thank you and good night, everyone. We will be with you again soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Bye for Thank now. Thanks, all. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.